0: Project Lawful, aka Plane Crash, by Yarwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski, and Lintamande. Thread 1.5 Kissing is not a
1: human universal. Episode 28. Kissing is not a human universal? Try pressing your lips to the back of your hand. Not completing the kiss, not applying brief suction, just pressing your lips there. Then try running your finger over your hand. There may be a subtle difference, but it's not that obvious of a sexy thing to do if you don't have cultural expectations backing it up. The small brief suction of a kiss, if you try it on yourself, is a slightly larger difference, but maybe not distinguished as a special sexual action across widely separated cultures any more than running your finger in a circle. Dathilan doesn't share Galarian's custom of kissing as such. Dathilan has, however, noticed generally that you can put your mouth on other people. Putting your mouth on somebody else's mouth is an obvious symmetrical special case of this. In fact, the baseline term for lip kissing is a four-syllable double-compound term, meaning symmetrical mouth underscore application, expressed using some unusual word choices that makes the term look like a syllabic neighbour of symmetrical genital underscore docking which in turn is a term that is to the baseline fuck what sexual intercourse is to fuck in Taldane, only with a more humorous connotation because there's less reason not to just say fuck. The notion of putting your mouth on somebody's anatomy but then not using any tongue at all, while it has obviously happened a great many times over the history of Datilan, would be a longer word in their language, an event of lower probability with a correspondingly longer efficient code. The ability to either apply tongue or to take something inside your own mouth is the obvious reason why you would in the first place put your mouth on somebody's anatomy, rather than just using fingers on the same location. Putting your mouth over somebody else's lips is a significantly higher sexual escalation in Dathilan than it is in Galarion, mostly because, once it had happened, you wouldn't particularly be expecting the motion to then conclude with a brief light suction. Even a lip-kiss with symmetrical tongue, however, wouldn't enable you to steal the other person's clothing afterwards. Stealing other people's clothing is not even slightly a thing in Dathilan, unless they're already clothes from a communal pool of unfitted guest clothes or adaptably fitted costumes. Normal clothes are objects fitted and customized to particular human bodies, just like beds or chairs.
0: Keltham is briefly shocked that Carissa is escalating that fast then rapidly questions his first impression and realizes that symmetrical mouth underscore application may be a specially convenient case for interplanar romance because he can just mirror whatever she does using the same appendage. A few moments later, he is surprised again when all Carissa does with her mouth is apply a brief light suction to his own lips. Deliberate teasing? Anyways, Keltham will just apply some brief light suction right back.
2: Carissa would normally be more stressed out by trying to interpret all Keltham's facial expressions. Is he confused? But this is in many ways the least stressful situation she's been in in a day, and it's one she's possessed with instincts for, unlike trying to serve Asmodeus, which humans are known to be terrible at, so it's easier to just go with it and set all the interpretation that's not immediately necessary aside for later. She pulls away slightly but leaves her hand on his shoulder. By normal Chalish standards, if you haven't negotiated anything eccentric, she says, we have now departed the range of things you're supposed to do if you have a monogamy agreement with someone else, but not the range of things that let you say what. We're not even slightly sleeping together, and we haven't even entered the range of things you can make other girls jealous with in the morning.
0: By Alani standards, we're probably somewhere at around 5.1 out of 12 on the standard romance escalation lattice scale on the pathway where we have sex to become friends instead of the other way around, though the thing you did wasn't standard enough to have a standard rating and could maybe have been 4.8 instead, which would be a good deliberate ambiguity maneuver if this were complicated romance. You'd be allowed to do it with anyone else you wanted under all but the strictest quarter of monogamy agreements. It wouldn't enable you to take my clothes and their informational private property as a trophy in a socially acknowledged way that let you get away with wearing my stuff to class tomorrow, because that is far too perverted a practice for a young person like myself to have heard about it. Oh, dear.
2: How perverted will I have to spend tonight making you for that to be a practice that you expect a similarly perverted person back home will have encountered?
0: Your goals are unrealistic, but you shouldn't let that stop you from trying. Keltham leans forward, slowly in case she wants to object, takes Carissa's head in his hand, turns it gently aside, and very lightly nibbles on her ear, just about exactly as long as she kissed him for. 5.2
2: Why is he being slow? Is that considered more romantic in Dathalon or something? Normal people don't have sex to become friends. They have sex to have sex, or to be useful to someone else who has something they want, or to put someone in a compromising position of some kind. She is going to mention none of these confusions. There's no such thing as unrealistic goals in Galarian unrealistic time scales, maybe. But I'm optimistic. See, my understanding is that we'd fall right off those Dathalani scales if you bite down now. And once you're off the scale, well, anything can happen.
0: Without any conscious thought at all, in a fragmentary perceptual moment, Keltham arrives at the meta-level conclusion that he has been prompted to fast action, and therefore fast thought. Okay, but how hard exactly is it okay to bite down? She probably does not mean he's supposed to literally actually bite off a piece of ear. Or maybe she does. There are healing spells here. He needs to worry less. Uh, Keltham himself has the power to heal. Granted him by his deity still unknown, Keltham quickly clenches his left fist, presses his fingernails into his own palm, in order to get a very quick concept of how much force might correspond to how much pain, quickly increases the pressure until the pain seems substantial, more than merely noticeable, and then bites down around that heart on Carissa's ear. She gasps, not unhappily.
2: There,
1: see, where are we on your scale now, dath Ilani? Along the standard romance lattice, on the most common pathway where first you have sex and then become friends, the steps would be numbered as follows. Zero, assumed prior knowledge, commonly known mutual possession of the human heritage and of default frameworks laid down by civilization. 1. Mutual determination of probable receptivity to flirting via passive or non-flirtatious information gathering. 2. Active flirting while maintaining plausible deniability. 3.0. Overt common knowledge of mutual attraction achieved. 3. Teasing or being nice to each other without physical contact, maneuvering for later relationship advantage. 4. Physical contact. 5. Overtly sexual contact. 6. Sex with genital participation. 7. Maneuvering around whether or not to go on a second date. 8.0. Common knowledge established of a relationship extending beyond a single encounter. 8. Dating, learning more about each other. 9. Taking on obligations and commitments inside the relationship, revealing of non-trivial private info to each other with attached secrecy obligations, less than maximalogamy arrangements for those into such things. 10. Having a child, or childless marriage lasting at least 15 years. 11. Long-term to indefinite marriage, multiple children if so desired. 12. Intention to be together in the future for eternity. Technically, according to this scale, Keltham and Carissa have yet to achieve step zero. Actually, that's not just a technicality. That part is, in fact, quite important. But the most correct answer to the intent of Carissa's question would be that the standard romance lattice doesn't consider the current depth of perversion, literally sexual overcomplication, as a detail that matters to assessing the rest of the scale. If adapted to include sadomasochism in the obvious way, it'd pass up stimulation by pain into an equivalence class of other acts that produced around the same amount of arousal in the target. If Keltham knew how much of a sexual act biting Carissa Savar's ear actually is to her, which he doesn't, he'd probably put that at around 5.7 on the standard scale.
0: We have gone forever outside of what is conceivable to civilization. Now that I've bitten somebody's ear, no city would allow me to enter there, even if I could return to my home plane again. None of them would consider me a Dathalani anymore. Not literally. That's humor with a straight face. I will also not include this disclaimer in the future unless you tell me to do that. He bites her ear again, slightly harder.
2: Gasp. I can tell by reading your expressions, and also by knowing enough now to guess that your returning home would be a national emergency in a fashion that had nothing to do with sex. There would be so many important people asking serious questions before we could arrange imports of girls who like being bitten. You won't harm me by accident. It's actually hard, for people who haven't practiced it, to bite another person like they'd bite a steak. And I'm third circle. That wouldn't harm me.
0: Wait. You being a third circle wizard means that, even if I tried to bite your ear literally as hard as I can, you wouldn't need a healing spell afterwards? Keltham will have additional questions about this later. But right now, the notion of biting her ear without being careful or worrying about it is tapping something deeper.
2: She kisses him again, a little more forcefully. Yes. That's right. There are six competing theories of why, and I will tell you none of them unless you tickle them out of me.
0: Keltham kisses back, running his tongue lightly over her lips, and then draws her own lip into his mouth and bites down hard without holding himself back. If it was just ears but not lips, he's got healing.
2: In some alternate universe where higher circle casters only have less vulnerable ears and otherwise normal vulnerability, Carissa would be bleeding. Well long ago dead at the world wound, actually. Instead, she leans into Keltham and shivers. Quick learner is a good trait. You're pretty lucky to have both a girl you can hurt and a girl you can't really hurt for the first time at the same time.
0: Keltham is now very hard, and he didn't even notice that happening to himself at the time because he was distracted. No, kidding. I don't know how it is for men here, but I get the distinct impression that being able to do what I want to you without holding myself back and have you react sexually to that is much more the thing I'm discovering than applying small, careful amounts of pain. I think I'm ready for this to move to a cuddle room, or a repurposed bedroom. Could be my bedroom, even, if you're pretty sure your magic lets you do to the bedroom afterwards what you did to my clothes.
2: Magic can clean it, but also I recall a bedroom at the bottom of these stairs. She holds herself back from examining the zippers too closely, even though suddenly they're right there to look at and they're fascinating, incredibly uniform down the whole seam and wrong for the mood right now.
0: You're the native. The alien will trust you about whether we can do that without prior authorization. Keltham stands, offers her a hand. Keltham has noticed where her eyes were drifting, of course. The prior probability for that wasn't low he would definitely be checking out the hot alien chick's technology in an appropriately analogized gender-reversed position. He's not much worried about IP theft, though. The real trick to the zipper isn't going to be the interlocking shapes. It's going to be cheaply making a thousand copies of those interlocking shapes.
2: She takes his hand. If we break the bed, I'll simply tell the facility's staff that we were studying dath Ilani sex tradition— and productive interactions with the Galarian sex tradition of having a girl you can do as you please with.
0: There's whole strange worlds opening up to Keltham, though he's not at all sure he's understanding them correctly. The notion of having a woman you can do as you please with, well, there's the version where you pay a sex worker so that you don't have to worry about their pleasure except, insofar as it pleases you to do so, a sexual asymmetry, balanced by a financial asymmetry going the other way, or by knowledge going the other way, in the variant Ione offered him. But the notion of a woman who doesn't allow you but wants you to do as you please wants you to hurt her. He'll sort out later what's going inside his mind. He may be ordinarily accustomed to knowing more about what goes on in there, but he doesn't have to sort it out right now before having sex. Keltham grips her hand harder, because he felt an impulse like that, and pulls her after himself toward the stairs going down, because that feels like the right thing to do.
2: Possibly she is going to take this too far and push Keltham to uncover desires that she actually has to use a lot of will and acting ability and preparation for the cleansing fires of hell to keep up with, and she should instead be trying to push him in smaller steps, but then she would lose the contest, and she's very competitive. Also, if she pushes him very far, then the other girls who are mostly younger will have a harder time keeping up. Yeah, This is a good plan, she follows.
0: Keltham is entertaining suspicions about how many planes of existence, exactly, just happen to contain women who, like, totally want you to bite their ears and lips, and will derive their own sexual pleasure from it, instead of disliking pain in accordance with all sane evolutionary logic. And also, they won't end up actually injured if you do that, and how likely it is that he would end up someplace like that just at random, but he will think about that later. If some unknown force throws you into a suspiciously sexually compatible universe, the optimal response should include fucking that universe, and not just contemplating how suspiciously sexually compatible it is. Once they're down the stairs, he'll give Carissa a sudden surprise push to the bed, and then be about to leap on her, when he remembers the existence of windows and doors that need closing. "'Wait here,' he says, the words coming out a little more forcefully than they should have, and goes to try to seal the room insofar as that seems to be a thing.' The room has a door to the hallway, a door to the private bathing rooms, and a door to the balcony. It has one window, opposite the bed, and positioned to shed light on the writing desk near the fireplace, with heavy curtains presently drawn over it. The door to the hallway and the door to the balcony both lock to keep people out. Looking for something.
2: Fireplace pokers are the kind of thing I'd need healing spells about.
0: Sealing the room, insofar as that seems to be a thing don't suppose there's a switch I'm missing for whatever magical version of soundproofing you've got. Or for that matter, something that tells the security people to get any five-year-olds out of the hidden wall tunnels, or switch the security cameras to only asexual observers.
2: I really hope there are no five-year-olds anywhere on the premises. The walls are nearly a foot of solid stone. No one will hear us unless they're creeping on the balcony. And if we're being scried, then they can just hear us and we can tell them. And she looks up at the ceiling. Hey, have a devil of the kinds that are too inhuman for sexual desire do the necessary observation of how Keltham hasn't been stealthily kidnapped or murdered.
0: Keltham did not think devils were that easy to consult on key national issues, let alone employ as security observers, but he will defer all infinite additional questions until later. I hadn't meant to ask for anything expensive, just checking if we were supposed to. Never mind. Back to the bed. It's not going to be easy having sex on a flat, soft surface, but it's possible. Lots of things are possible if you're sufficiently determined about them, sexually speaking. Carissa Savar didn't seem to think that escalating slowly and in order was particularly romantically important to her, which is good, because right now, Keltham is feeling an alarmingly strong impulse to do exactly what his impulses tell him, and what his impulses tell him to do is throw off his shirt.
1: Keltham taking off his jacket shirt is going to look strange to an inhabitant of Galarian not accustomed to over-engineered dath clothing. In principle, one spends a lot of time in clothes and hence should be willing to spend some money on better clothes. In practice, there is a certain element, in civilization's clothing choices, of that dath personality trait which always puts a hidden passageway behind at least one bookcase in the house library often one that just goes around a short corner and exits from a different bookcase in the same library. The point is, the hidden passageway has to be there, and if you ask why, the people of Dathilan will smile and tell you to shut up. Keltham's jacket-shirt assembly includes more technology than just zipper slides. It has been painstakingly designed by a cultural accumulation over time of engineers, with plus-4 SD intelligence to, among other things— Manifest a rainproof hood from no obvious receptacle, convert between warmer and colder coverage, and be easy to remove from yourself while you're already cuddling somebody without having to disentangle yourself. This easy removal feature makes good use of micro-velcro fine enough to not be obvious from a distance, and arrays of tiny rare-earth magnets which automatically pull bits of fabric back together again in a correct stepwise pattern. From an outside perspective, one would see Keltham tear his jacket shirt off of himself with an audible ripping sound and end up holding a jacket with no visible damage. If you were watching closely enough, you'd see the jacket split along the seams and then quickly come together again along those same seams. The way this registers from outside is not an accident or any kind of side effect of other design purposes. A mad engineer who would detect in Galarian as INT-26 spent several years figuring out exactly how to do that and make it look cool, subsequently collecting zero, one unskilled labor-hour royalties on over two hundred million pieces of clothing.
0: Keltham kneels over where he threw Carissa to the bed, one knee between her thighs, not bothering to avoid touching anything. How do I take off your shirt? he says, after a brief moment of failing to see any affordances for doing that.
2: My shirt does not do that. Does everyone's clothes do that? She doesn't see how, without magic, or why, stop getting distracted by textile manufacture questions. It... buttons. With buttons. She demonstrates one.
0: Huh. That's a surprisingly elegant solution to the problem of clothing that must be built with imprecise manufacturing technology. The buttonhole doesn't have to be exactly the same size as the button. It's okay if no two buttons are exactly the same size as each other and the fastening method is robust to small departures of the shape from if this line of thinking is not centrally necessary to sex with Carissa, it can wait. Keltham undoes all the buttons he can see, the motions unpracticed but not too slow. It's obvious enough how a button works once you see one. And her shirt lies open before him. Carissa Sevar is older than any woman he's previously lain with, and prettier than them. In his sight, as far as he can tell from just her exposed chest, Carissa, being seven years older than him, works for him on a physical level, it seems, so long as he's not at a social power disadvantage to her, the way he would have been to an older woman of civilization. Keltham wonders if there's a non-button trick he's missing for how he could remove Carissa's shirt sleeves from her arms without her needing to rise up from her laid-down position. But also Keltham doesn't feel the need to do that right now. The alien clothing on the sexy alien female isn't something he minds. I approve. He says a little breathlessly, eyes going between Carissa's face and her chest.
2: Carissa knows that she is pretty. There are things it's smart to lie to yourself about, in Chiliacs. That isn't one of them. It matters for a lot of things. You get lots of data on it. It is not suspicious to be competent at it, and it's vaguely pathetic not to be. To be living in a fantasy where you are prettier than you really are— Or one where you're average and the way people respond to you is mostly about your charming personality when you are not average, and it's not about your personality at all. In a room of girls her age, she'll be the prettiest, if it wasn't selected on that. And if it was, she'll be average, unless it was selected hard on that, reaching the point where people deploy magic potions. She can't be mistaken for the kind of woman who's done that, not once you've met them. The worry about attracting the notice of the pharaoh of Osirian is realistic, given certain bounds of uncertainty about how much he likes exoticness. For a statement that contains approximately no new information, Keltham's approval is oddly satisfying. If you are characteristic of men with your taste, she says, you'll like it even better when it's marked up a little.
0: I expect I'll be very excited by whatever that actually means, but that idiom and baseline means something implausible, unless you actually did want me to annotate you.
2: Your poor language. She pinches her breast, hard enough to leave a bright red mark when she pulls her hand away. Your poor civilization. You may have coordination, but towards what end? If the only thing to do with unblemished skin is to annotate it?
0: Keltham notes, somewhat to his own surprise, that his hands are slightly trembling. The impulse to pinch her, harder than that, to get sounds out of her again, is powerful enough that, well that it's now absolutely obvious why Dath-Elan doesn't want sexual pain dealers to know what they are, if there's no improbable, invulnerable sexual pain receivers around to compliment them. He is struggling between two mutually inhibitory instilled reflexes, the training out of Dath-Elan, which says that in the cuddle room of all places you're supposed to just follow your impulses, and his acculturation out of Dath-Elan to be careful about hurting people. No stop that stupid. He couldn't even produce blood when he bit down hard on her lip. Keltham allows his hand to do what it wants, seizing her other breast and grabbing as hard as he can, digging in with fingernails.
2: Carissa thinks it is far too early in the evening to not react to something he does, look at him challengingly and ask if he can do it more than that. That is a good move to have in reserve. Right now she has thrown enough complications onto the table and should just let Keltham explore them. She should shudder and wiggle and reach for his hand, but not to pull it away and smile at him. Good is wrong. Carissa believes this mostly because the possible Carissas who don't have been neatly pruned from existence or hypothetical existence, but it feels like there's another angle on believing it here. Dot Elan layering all their propaganda to hide from people what they are because their beautiful, good, abundant empire didn't have space for the hunger of humans to hurt each other and be rewarded for it, to have something that is theirs and that they needn't treat with caution. The desires in yourself that have no place in Axis. Maybe, though she shouldn't even dream of it, it's true of Keltham, too.
0: If he did this to a normal dath woman, she'd be at least saying, Ow, and the fact that Carissa isn't, yelling, isn't having her face tighten up in pain, that she can still choose to just smile at him in response. He feels like he needs to hurt her more than this, take that control away from her, and he almost stops to ask if he's thinking it right, except that he, he can see himself as others see him. He can see his own story as a reader would see it. He can guess where this trend is going, and if not, Carissa can tell him in words to stop. His other hand seizes her nipple, traps it between thumbnail and forefingernail, and bites down on that nipple with those two fingernails as much as his grip strength allows.
2: You have to think about these things very quickly. A delay will betray you. Most men will keep going until they get the reaction they want, some for a while after that. So you want to start grimacing and whimpering and flinching substantially shy of your actual limit, so it's not too bad later either. She bets that in Dati Lon that's not even complicated romance. It's probably like a major social faux pas or something. It does hurt. A lot. More than would be sexy in isolation, which it so, so profoundly isn't. And a lot more is sexy when it's part of a game played with your body for the sake of getting things you desperately want. She flinches and whimpers, but only a little. And then she goes back to smiling at him.
0: You're cute. He's satisfied a little by that flinch and whimper. Part of him is reassured about still being addressed in favorable terms afterwards, that he didn't make a misstep. Part of him seems to feel an overpowering need to be otherwise to her than, maybe you'll tell me that the first date is too early for it, he says, his voice coming out lower, huskier than he expected from himself or that nobody gets it their first day. But I hope there's a path to eventually escalate a relationship like this one to where I'm something other than cute.
2: You can get a girl to call you all kinds of things, including on the first date. Hurting people is very effective for that. It does typically take a little longer to make her mean it.
0: For her to call him what? Keltham doesn't know. There is something, but he doesn't know what. Implied in Carissa's words is that there's a version that's a game, and a version that isn't just a game. He can already feel from where he is that this must be so. But he doesn't know what lies beyond this, beyond just the sexual infliction of pain. And maybe he shouldn't ask, shouldn't delve too greedily and too deep upon a first date. He doesn't want to slow down for explanations either. He can ask afterwards. "'Don't call me anything you don't mean,' he says, and there's an undertone in his voice that isn't often heard in dath Elon. What he said should have been a request.' It's not clear what multi-agent equilibrium could sensibly exist here, where that could be something other than a request, but it wasn't one, and because it felt right, his hand pressed fingernails into her breast again as he said it.
2: She shivers. That part's easy. Carissa possesses a convenient degree of sexual enjoyment of pain. She doesn't have a particular tendency to use what's hot as an input into who she obeys, or to find it hot rather than convenient when people obey her. But she can recognize the thing he wants. Better than he can, at least, and—and—four pillars of Asmodianism. one of them tyranny, enjoyment of power and its exercise, one she doesn't have particular aptitude for, but a path to Asmodeus just as valid as her own. Yes, Keltham, she says, quietly meeting his eyes. And if you were a ruler to whom I had sworn my loyalty, then it would be yes, my lord. Like so.
0: Keltham clamps down on an impulse to pull back his hand like it was burned. Something is escalating too far and too fast. Naturally, Keltham has been, at one point in his life, told very seriously that men are also allowed to decide that something sexual is escalating too quickly for their comfort, even if that's not the typical gender trope depicted for the male sex in books and movies. And to this, Keltham had replied that he was, in fact, a quite archetypal male who would never have need of that advice. But because Keltham had also been possessed of at least average intelligence, imagination, and reflection, Keltham had added, after another moment's thought, that this might not be true if there were secret levels of sexual escalation he was having difficulty imagining. And this, of course, the Watcher had neither confirmed nor denied. Courage, Keltham thinks to himself, and keeps his hand where it is. He is typical male enough that typical male gender tropes are useful to him, and he wordlessly auto-expects for it to do well by him if he draws on that to not look hesitant in front of a sex partner. There's something there I want, he says. But it's deep and it's complicated, and even though you obviously already know what it is, I'm not going to understand it right away, and I don't want to stop while you explain it to me. I do know I want to be to you as I would be to a sex worker whose time I'd bought, only not like that, but as if she'd just given it to me. The ability to do what I want with you. I don't want to trade pleasures with you. I want to force pleasure out of you and hurt you while I do that, and then hurt you again while you pleasure me in turn.
2: Yes, she says, because she's getting the sense that they both individually and together have a failure mode of talking too much when only a little would do.
0: Keltham has read the description of standard wizard cantrips, and he expects he's guessed at least part of magical sexual practice in Galarian, especially since he doubts their tech level suffices for ingestible latent flavorants. You can use prestidigitation now to flavor my... Taldane doesn't have very detailed words for the components of semen or their anatomical storage places... ''Stored sexual fluids however you prefer,'' he says, looking down on her darkly. ''And for myself, I want you tasting like chocolate.''
2: This is, in fact, a thing Carissa has ever done, but she is intensely curious about under what algorithm it comes to mind as one of the first. She should think less. Entirely too much thinking. She takes his wrist and moves his hand with hers while she casts a cantrip. ''Probably I did what you said,'' she says. You've hardly got the spellcraft to know for sure.
1: I guess you could check. In a world of a billion people, around a 100 million minutes per day are going to be spent tasting male sexual fluids, or around 50,000 years per year, and at least an order of magnitude more for that portion of women who desire oral sex, where the fluid-tasting phase lasts much longer. And that's just the momentary hedonics. If a suboptimal taste were permitted to act as a negative reinforcer for sex itself— that would destroy an order of magnitude more happiness still. It would be silly to not have hundreds of top engineers working on the problem of making people taste 10% better. Though you don't especially need good social coordination for that, they'd say, because markets. They would be surprised if you told them a world could have markets, but somehow not those top engineers.
0: There's always been a strange impulse. Any time Keltham is asked to do anything during sex, for him to want to do something else instead like he wants to not do anything that could be remotely seen as doing what somebody else says. Keltham has always chalked this up to an excessive level of individualism, even for himself, and gone on trading pleasures and fairly providing that which he trades, since he can't afford yet to routinely trade money instead. Now he's starting to suspect it's something else entirely. I guess I could, Keltham says, and as his fingers go down Carissa's pants, his fingernails move aside and dig hard into her thighs instead. The thought that Carissa was inviting him to monitor and enforce her obedience, or to punish her if she hadn't done as requested, does not occur to Keltham yet, not at all. Those are still ideas that require much longer codes in his native language of thought, for he has not seen all their pieces.
2: Or he can do that, sure. She bites her lip, lets her breathing hitch just slightly. Note to self, have some kind of plan before explaining Galarian slavery to Keltham, just in case instead of being appalled he is like... That sounds great.
0: These pants don't look bad on her, but they have now become obstacles to progress. Obstacles to progress must be removed. He almost starts to tear them off her but remembers in time that this won't work and undoes as many buttons as he sees before attempting further removal of the clothing.
2: The pants have two buttons. She contemplates making it slightly harder for Keltham to navigate them by wiggling, but decides that while it is more fun for Carissa to be slightly difficult— She has no real reason to think that's how Keltham prefers it. She can't read that much into his not having reacted more strongly to previous, being mildly difficult. He's probably not calibrated on how much is appropriate. And so she ought to try cooperating like he's been serious about it, even though he hasn't. She doesn't wiggle. She does let her legs anticipate his movements, so it takes hardly any effort to move her to pull off the pants.
0: Her legs are as pretty as her chest. Keltham yanks off his own pants, with the characteristic sound of micro-velcro coming apart, which sounds like cloth tearing at first, and casts these apparently undamaged pants aside. dath has not evolved separate underwear per se, the bottom assembly just works off the shelf without added components being required. He is hard, of course, maybe harder than he's ever been. If he knew that his contraception had followed him here, survived the healing he performed on himself last night and not been surreptitiously removed by cheelish wizards in his sleep. He'd be fucking her so hard right now. As it is, the two of them are not on childbearing terms. Be it clearly stated, Keltham says in a thick voice, that if I'm not fucking you right now, that's not because I don't really, really want to.
2: Not quite pretty enough for him to pass up on licensing fees, huh? She's not even offended. Under normal circumstances, she'd just offer to polymorph it off, and she in fact could offer that. But then he'll get distracted trying to think through whether he trusts her, that that works, and that sounds like a not-at-all-sexy direction to push him in. If he were slightly less of an alien, she'd say, if you owned me, you'd also separately get to decide if we had children. But he's an alien, and that seems to run a genuine chance of stamping on something he's been assuming all wrong. I admire your self-control, she says, though she would actually really rather his self-control not quite be adequate to the task.
0: He briefly smiles. That's a prideful thing for a woman to say when she's tempting you, and Keltham likes pride. Keltham then checks, also briefly, teasingly, whether Carissa tastes like chocolate. He is careful to avoid the outward pleasure center with his tongue while he does that, both for teasing reasons and because he doesn't know if she's a woman who requires warm-up before direct clitoral stimulation.
2: She does! She doesn't play that difficult.
0: Prestidigation-based artificial flavor is very tastably artificial, as the cantrip description warned, but it's still better flavor than Dathilan can manage in the absence of magic. Keltham makes a mental note to tell her about this scored point for Galarian later. He's not going to cheat on record-keeping, but right now he has other things on his mind. If you want to lubricate yourself before my fingers go in, now's the time, he warns Carissa, some watching part of himself noting how much that also isn't being phrased as a request
2: most considerate baby Dom. He is doing his absolute best to do whatever he wants, and he's still sort of tracking whether he's going to hurt her. He doesn't know how not to. She does not let this show on her face. She doesn't think Keltham would be flattered. I'm feeling pretty ready, she says.
1: It frankly wouldn't occur to Keltham that going through the standard pre-flight checklist is being considerate. It's just standard. If one suggested to Keltham that this entry on the checklist was particularly a female-serving one, he would stare blankly for a moment and then observe that things may not go in if a woman isn't lubricated enough. If you were having sex with fine-grained financial transfers, the woman would not pay an additional 50 millims to add lube. That's just a symmetrical convenience.
0: Keltham hesitates then, torn between an impulse to ask for directions for combining pleasure with pain correctly and a deeper desire not to ask for directions. No, he'll at least try it first on his own. His desires seem to want Carissa in a different position. One hand goes to her thigh, grabs, pulls. A dath woman would know by convention of nonverbal cuddling signals that Keltham intended to rotate her, turn her onto her stomach on the bed, facing down.
2: Carissa is not at all familiar with dath cuddling conventions, but she knows how to be very pliable and giggly, Just a tiny, calculated bit of giggly.
0: Some part of Keltham doesn't enjoy the giggly sound. Maybe at any other time he would. But here and now, it's not the sound he wants to hear. When Carissa is flipped onto her stomach, he pulls her shirt from her to expose her back. With the front of her shirt open, that should be possible to remove now, right?
2: Yes. She's not wearing underclothes. The shirt has chest support built in.
0: A fine enough backside as well. With his dominant hand, Keltham puts two fingers into Carissa, Yes, she's lubricated enough, and begins two-fingered thrusts directed at the frontal-vaginal pleasure nexus. He escalates the pressure quickly, over just the first dozen thrusts, faster than he would escalate without clear signals from anybody who is less wet or less supposedly invulnerable. When he's reached the pressure level and rhythm, that's the optimal guess for that pleasure nexus if you otherwise know nothing about the woman, he rakes his fingernails hard down her exposed back. He wants to see it annotated.
2: Carissa can actually enjoy sex in the straightforward way where it's nice and you like it, but she can't do that, and also do anything else, so she usually doesn't. You can get yourself off if that's all you are aiming to accomplish in the evening. If she is trying to decide, deliberately, how to move and how to sound and what expressions to make and what her hands are doing, then she's doing that. And it's like casting a high-circle spell, exhilarating, compelling, but not at all something you'd straightforwardly describe as pleasant. She is using her sensory input for too many things for just enjoying it. She can notice, while she takes cues from Keltham about how to move and how to twitch and how to breathlessly whimper, that he has had probably quantitatively less practice at this than most adventurers at the World Wound, but is better at it, presumably because girls in Datilan have more bargaining power than girls in Galarian do— or at least have fewer non-sex priorities they're trying to arrange through sex, and are therefore pointing more of the bargaining power they are possessed with at the sex itself being nice. But Keltham being better at it is not very related to how she moves and twitches and whimpers, and that's not even because she's trying to seduce him into evil. It's just because you can't mindlessly enjoy things and react satisfyingly to them at the same time. Her back scratches up nicely.
1: Keltham is better at this because he's had deliberate training, thank you very much. What are your schools even teaching people if they're not preparing them for such basic aspects of adult life? This about Dath Ilan. They never even considered not optimising the shit out of sex. There are regular, very serious debates, some of them hidden behind fourth-tier pervertedness ciphers about which parts of sex should have the shit optimised out of them versus being let run wild and free but that no aspect of sex should be hyper-optimised at all would be a mad extremist position which nobody could take very seriously. There is, to be sure, the whole system of avoiding spoilers for young people, which means that their earliest sex is not much optimised. You only get to discover sex once after all – You wouldn't want to spoil those surprises any more than you'd tell kids about conservation of momentum instead of putting them in a setting where they can discover classical mechanics for themselves. Now and then, civilization assembles together a group of recently initiated young geniuses who haven't been told yet about any standard sexual methods and asks them to consider from scratch how sex should best be optimized, just in case civilization's accustomed thought patterns are missing something. It is not that Darth Ilan tries to destroy all naivety as fast as it can be destroyed by truth. Some innocence is hedonically or scientifically useful to preserve for a time. But once you are initiated into the first tier of spoiled discussion for sex, you get to learn about those standard optimizations that are simple common sense for repairing the defects of sex in a state of nature. And then, of course, exactly how much sexual training a young man might invest his limited skill points into depends upon that young man's hedonism, horniness, competitiveness, competing life priorities, and how much it bugs him to think he could be doing it better. Keltham has competing life priorities, and would not call himself particularly hedonistic. He is, however, very competitive, and sex does matter to his self-told life story at all. The amount of pleasure he has to give in trade feels to Keltham like a key figure of merit for his own sexual self worth, and for this reason, he has invested more skill points than most other young men his age. Maybe most women his age are not, in fact, evaluating him as if he were a sexual product in a marketplace, but Keltham feels on some level that they should be. They should be evaluating what he has to trade, and he doesn't like the thought of being unready if he meets a woman who is evaluating him. The sexual standards he wants to live up to, first and foremost, are his own, and that never felt to him like a place where he was naturally very self-forgiving. So Keltham has ever spent a dozen hours practicing with a very carefully built anatomical doll, hooked up to a room full of the best computers that are known publicly to exist, learning how to play standard variation over female anatomy as if it were a video game, and learning how to read standard variation over female sexual responses, especially the ones that don't require voluntary action. Because among the defects of sex in a state of nature is, for example, that orgasms don't last nearly long enough in comparison to the rest of sex. And if you're trying to optimise the integral of pleasure over time, not that this is the figure of merit for sex, but it's a figure of merit, then it's a bonus sexual skill to be able to read how close your member of desired sex is to orgasm and hang out in the region where she's close but not quite there. To be sure, there's the very obvious version of this, where she just tells you where she is, or gasps out figures between 0 and 12, or gives standard nonverbal signals, but if she doesn't have to focus on doing that, because you can just tell, then you are able to do a difficult-seeming impressive trick, and she can have more fun without being distracted. Dath does enjoy its difficult-seeming impressive tricks, like being able to tear a jacket shirt off of yourself and have it come out intact. Or finger snaps, as they're now sometimes known more briefly, in a meme spread by the popcorn book series Science Maniac Verez. Keltham, in particular, likes difficult-seeming impressive tricks. And what lots of people spend lots of minutes doing, civilization spends big money on. A lot of work went into designing the anatomical arcade system that trained Keltham to attempt this particular sexual finger snap. And also this of Dathilan. Faking your sexual responses is... Well, mostly it's not imagined, but if imagined, it would immediately be judged as serious business awfulness. You don't want to live in an equilibrium where people having sex are constantly distracted by the question of whether their partner's signals are real or fake. Hiding your sexual responses during sex, sure, there are complicated romances like that, but if you see something it ought to be real. "'Learning that somebody you'd trusted had done that to you "'would be the sort of betrayal where a Dath-Elani might be wondering "'for the rest of their life if it was going to happen to them again. "'Telling a man that she deceptively faked her enjoyment with him "'is the sort of thing that a not-redeemable fictional villain "'would do to her ex-boyfriend just before she stabbed him in the neck "'and left him to rot someplace his brain wouldn't be found in time.' If somehow an adult were caught faking an orgasm, and this was somehow socially proven, it wouldn't get them kicked out of as many cities as if they deliberately raped somebody. But it would get them excluded from around the same number of orgies and startups. Obvious exceptions obviously apply, of course, like in movie acting or scripted sex work. There is a great difference between depiction and deception. <laughs>
0: If you wish to support the production of this AI-voiced reading of Plane Crash, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated.